0: As always, this episode is brought to you by Set GK Goalkeeper Gloves. Gloves by the pros, for the pros. With six different models to choose, they guarantee you'll find the feel and fit you're looking for. Use promo code JG25 at checkout for 25% off your order. Set GK. It all starts with your set. John's one of the creators of the Sports Performance Diploma for United Soccer Coaches so could you just dive into that a little bit and know what what can coaches expect out of that course?
1: Yeah sure so um, myself and I have three other uh, uh, creators uh, Paolo Passione from Club America, James Wagenschultz who's with uh, the association and then Stacy Wilson former uh, national team player We're all performance-driven coaches, and we've been attending the um, the convention, and we've been coaching for a long time, and we've all saw that there was a void in education for people who want to know more about high performance as it applies to soccer. So, you know, we know that when you go to get your diplomas from the uh, United Soccer Coaches, or if you go to uh, get a, a a certificate or a license from US soccer or UEFA or wherever they'll touch on fitness right but they're really t- there to teach you more about tactical and technical um, things that are important in the game so we, we said we need to create something for coaches who want to know more but are not going to go back to school and get a master's right. degree right. in exactly. exercise yeah. science so so what we did was we put together a course and like everybody we envisioned this being something that was face-to-face over a weekend mm-hmm. COVID turned it into an online course right. um, but that's worked out great and i'll get into that in a second yeah. but what we did was we said let's put together a curriculum where we do some deeper dives into things that are soccer soccer related and important for coaches to know that are also fitness related so it's a 12-week course uh, half, I'd say about half of it is going to be on the, um, theory th- things like what is periodization, um, what are energy sy- systems, uh, what are the physiological demands of soccer, right. and then half of it is going to be these are specific activities that you can do to best address the needs of the soccer player. Sure. And and the goal was to address either a, a soccer coaches who want to know more about performance Mm -hmm. and we talk about nutrition also uh, these sort of things or there's another group of people who are maybe high performance people but don't know soccer and they want to learn a little bit more about how to apply what they know about high performance into more soccer specific things
0: so where have you seen this the performance in the in the realm of soccer kind of differ over the past five, 10 years? Cause I feel like in the past it's always been just run, you know, run six miles, get your cardio, but you know, where, but now I think we're, we're starting to see it's, you know, it's not always about that. You got to get the high intensity stuff. So, you know, where has it shifted over the past years?
1: So I'd say there's a couple places it's shifted. One is you kind of mentioned it already, Jesse, the, um, this concept that fitness is just running and just run till you can't run anymore or, you know, go out and, and do, uh, a two-mile run, Um, there's a lot more recognition that when we train, the training we do is energy system specific. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all, uh, to me, it's real simplicity of whatever you do will help you get better at whatever you're doing. Which
0: which energy system should we focus on in training, yeah?
1: So we we do a lot of 10-meter sprints in soccer. We gotta focus on that energy system. We do a lot of 40 meter sprints in soccer. We gotta focus, that's a different energy system. Um, We need to be able to do 10 and 40 meter meter sprints repeatedly and not lose speed and not take longer to recover. That's a different energy system. So the focus on training energy systems, as opposed to just, I think we should do some sprints today. in the end, you will be doing some sprints today, right. but it's, thinking more about what are the distances, what are the times, right. how much recovery, that that's a lot, a lot different now because the sports science literature plus just more general awareness of these things has helped us to realize that if you want to train properly, you have to train
0: in this manner Sure, so you touched on periodiz- periodization in the sports film diploma course. What you know okay. how do okay. coaching coaches better understand that and, well, uh, and kind of getting the day athletes day to peak towards day. the middle to end of the season rather oh, right. than right in the preseason.
1: Sure. So so like I, I like to say uh, I say a lot in the course and when I'm uh, I'm doing um, the lectures I do and these sort of things that this is actually pretty simple. It's just a little complicated. <laughs> so it's it sounds it sounds like it's a misnomer. But the bottom line is um, a lot of the things that our body do, does. They, it makes sense. So mm. one thing that our body does is it responds to loading. Right. But if you keep giving it the same load, it doesn't respond right. the same right. way. The body accommodates. Mm. The, the body is a wonderful cheater. It will find yeah. a way yeah. to do things right. more efficiently. Um, so periodization is simply changing the load. Mm. Um, when we change loads, there's lots of ways we can do that. When I'm talking about, say, running our energy system, I
0: said the, I said the one
1: aspect of loading is how hard you're running. Are you running full speed? Are you running three quarters full speed? Another one is how many repetitions are you doing? Mm. Another one is how much rest are you giving between? Another one is how how much rest are you giving between your sets of repetitions? Periodization is just adjusting those things to make it more difficult So the body has to continue to adapt. Um, there's never really an end of periodization. Mm, Um, and you know, you're never, you're going to only get to a certain point of your fitness where genetically you can't improve. Mm. So, so there's not really a concern about, I got to keep on periodizing someone to get them better and better and better. Mm. So what we do is we'll do cycles and, um, there's lots of different, you kind of talked about it with mesocycles and right, uh, right. microcycles and those sort of things. All that, that's just fancy jargon for right, changing right. things weekly, changing things mm-hmm. daily, and those sort of things. So, so what I would say to get to the answer to your question about peaking near the middle to the end of the season is, is you're going to want to, theoretically, you're going to want to ramp up right. and make things a little bit more difficult, maybe the first third of the season then another thing that science shows is is that a taper week or a taper right. period is important and taper is simply reduce the load it doesn't right. mean that stop it just right. means just really, do less yeah. so less volume less intensity yeah, yeah. and and what they that what the science has shown is that if you put someone through a very it could be a perfectly uh ramped up program eventually they're going to not right have a return their, their body's just going to be
0: overloaded so the taper is a recovery especially with the stress of let's say college athletics i mean even high school you know just the demands of the school work too it's a you know i don't think we put we're we're not even you know talking about that in terms of yeah how that plays a factor in the body and in recovery and rest
1: yeah so so yeah you do that so i would say maybe you you well, what i like to do right. this is me yeah. um i like to do a three-week ramp mm-hmm. One week recovery. So it's right. a four-week cycle. Right. Then I'll start that three-week rep again, again, only maybe the first week of the second ramp is more like the second week of the first ramp. Right. So we start at a mm-hmm. little higher level, and we're just moving upwards. Um, one of the things I, I also think is, is true with the fact that we have so much exercise science research right. now is that different people... Propose that different ways to train will be make a player better. Some people say we should do a four-week cycle. Some people say right. use a six-week cycle. I think you can find a research article to back up all of that exact, stuff because yeah. people yeah. study it. It's the bottom line is it's not about what's best. It's about the body adapts. Right, and
0: what yeah. works for that person. That yeah, you know, many ways to skin a cat, right? That's yeah. right.
1: And then, so I think for like say the high school or the college, the the biggest problem that you have to deal with is maintaining the fitness level of your entire team, Mm -hmm. knowing that some of the people are going to get their highest loading during games, and some of the people are not gonna get much loading Mm -hmm. during games. Mm -hmm. So that's a balance that you have to figure out how to keep because it doesn't make sense if you have a a wide midfielder covering eight to 10 kilometers a game doing 20 or 30 high intensity sprints, to have to do the same thing that somebody who plays the same position but didn't get any playing right, time. Exactly. So yep.
0: that's something that coaches have to stay in mind or keep mm-hmm. in mind. Absolutely. So, what would you tell someone if, let's say, it's a college athlete <clears throat> training in the off season? You know, how would they, how how, do you, how would you recommend them structuring their off season workouts in terms of the sprinting, um, sprinting? You know, the taper periods, like you mentioned, just mm-hmm. the, all that whole periodization, because it's typically maybe about ten to twelve weeks that they might have on their own.
1: Yeah. Typically. So, so I think. The, the question depends on a lot of factors. So I don't, think there's a one right answer, but oh, yeah. it's a lot easier to maintain fitness and you don't have to do as much to maintain as you have to, to gain. Mm. So if a player's very fit going into the off season, research has shown that one to two high intensity, uh, workouts per week is enough to maintain fitness. Now, I also recognize the need that the body needs and the mind needs time to mm-hmm. get away, do its own thing, right. um, detach. So many players will say, I want to take a couple of weeks off. Mm-hmm. Nothing Fine. wrong with that. Right. But what I wouldn't recommend is to take the couple of weeks off before yeah. training right. starts. I would take those couple of weeks off right after they were March. done with the yeah. season and then. You you know you want to go into training camp with some level of fitness Mm. um, because you don't want your 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 coaches only have a limited amount of time to prepare you for the season. Right. Uh, I think you know there's there's different ways to approach things. Some coaches will want to do a lot of fitness tests on day one. Mm -hmm. Some coaches will say no 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 I'm going to let them get in for a little bit and I'm going to do fitness Mm -hmm. tests. people will always wanna do these fitness tests to, I, I hope, improve their prescribing. Not, right. see, I, I'm a I'm a, a big proponent also of fitness tests shouldn't be pass or fail. Fitness tests, Benchmark, in fact, right. I don't even call them tests, I call them assessments, because right. it should
0: not be something that has. It should, it should, players shouldn't feel anxiety going into it, right? No, and,
1: and And I also think that coaches shouldn't just do a fitness assessment because, well, this other team does it, so we're doing it. And that's the way it's
0: always been done. Yeah, Yeah.
1: they should be doing it because they're going to use that information to prescribe. Mm -hmm. So the key is, though, the players need to come in prepared Mm -hmm. um, because kind of back to what your earlier question was when you're saying periodize the peak at the end of the season, I I would always say, I said this with with, uh, Randy Waldron when we Mm -hmm. were coaching the Dash together, is, well, What if I'm in last place at the end of the season? Why am I worried about how my fitness is at the end of the season if I'm not there? So I I really got to have myself ready to play at the early part of the season. Uh Um, So you still would periodize, but the the player, if the player wants the team to perform the best, they need to come in prepared. And that preparation may come from the guidance of their coach or their trainer. But it's certainly not coming in from no activity. So right. if I would say, and I've advised this to a lot of uh, younger players who came at the Dynamo Academy mm-hmm. who went on to play college. If, if they don't give you, if your college doesn't give you a fitness program, do this. Twice a week, go to a field. Sprint the length of the field. Mm-hmm. Start your watch at zero. Right. Sprint your length of the field. And when you get to the end of the field, let the t- clock get to one minute. Then sprint again. Right. So bottom line is you're running for about 15 to 20 seconds. Right. You're resting for about 40 seconds. There's not a lot of thinking there because all I got to do is uh, every yeah. time the minute is there, try and get 10 done. Yeah. At, and then if you can do 10 the next time, try and do 12. Your, work your way up to where your workout is about 15 to 20. If you do that, you're Simple. probably yeah. going to get yourself into a pretty good yep. position. Mm. Now, you're training the energy system of the 15 second. Right. But you're also training the energy system of the having to do this mm. for 12 to right. 15 to 20 minutes. Mm. That's... You don't need a program to do that,
0: yeah, and the and the periodization is right. increasing your exactly. volume as you go. Just goes to show you how you know how simple it can be, but how complicated people want to make it because you know, like like we talked about before, it's like everyone's looking for that that best thing, but that yeah. best thing is, it's just you know it can well, be so simple. And,
1: it the one thing though I'll say, Jesse, is it's simple to talk about,
0: right? But if right. you and
1: I go out to the street and do that workout, uh-huh. it's uh-huh. not that simple. No. So it's hard, yeah. right? And the hardest part is you as the athlete. Pushing yourself mm. to stay at high speed in the last sprint. And another thing that I'll tell—this reminds me. What I'll tell players, and so the the, the mm. players who are listening to this should should uh, remember is that when you're doing this sort of sprint work, it's not the first five or six sprints that matter. It's right. the last five or six. Right. And you're you're using the first five or six to get your body ready to train for right. the last five yep. or six.
0: Love
1: it. Um, that's the simplicity. Yeah, of it. Right. I can explain it in. Two minutes. Um, I don't need to have any special technology or anything right. like that. Um, not to make it sound like you don't need to do anything more, but, but if they didn't have any idea of what to do, gotcha. that's what I would tell them to do.
0: What are some of the trends that you've noticed now over the past few years? Where, like you know, where is sports science and soccer taking off? Where's, where's it going in the next couple of years? Do you think?
1: So, so the big change is the enormous amount of technology that's now becoming available right. for everybody. Things that used to be only available to the top teams in the world who had unlimited budgets and resources, it may not be the same equipment, but similar type of data are right. coming in to play. The other thing is with um, messaging, uh, being able to talk more mm-hmm. directly with somebody when you're not with them. Right. So... so that's where I see things have changed a lot. Um, the thing I would caution against is with the new technology is is somebody investing in the technology without really knowing what they want to do. Mm-hmm. The the investment in the technology, whether it's a $10 sensor or a $10,000 system, right. should be driven by, I really wish I knew this piece of information. Mm-hmm. What do I need to get? Oh. Let me say that again. I, w- I wish I knew this inf- this piece of information because if I did, it would influence this second decision. Right. What do I need to get to help me in- get that information? Because mm. I think right now it's it's kind of the opposite where people are potentially purchasing things, yep. um, and there's no they're purchasing pr- pr- things without a, without a reason. There's no the the making things fun and interesting is, is fine, mm. but I think you can go a little bit deeper right. and hold yourself to a little bit. Yeah. higher of a standard to say is it really worth making my players wear this Fitbit am I going to use this or not Right. right. Um, and then related to that is to make sure that when you use the technology that wasn't available but now it is let your players know why and how you're using it you don't have to tell them their answers, you don't have to share scores but right. if they think you're collecting a bunch of stuff and they have no idea why you're doing it they're less likely to be giving you right. actual data, and remember, these these things will spit out data no matter what. Mm. So um, that's where I think things are changing, and and I yeah. think coaches are, and that that's part of where that's the sports Diplom- uh performance diploma are, is is helping coaches to be able to use that information. So right. we actually right. talk about. Technology that's available and how you would actually use exactly. that. And how you, yeah, and then going
0: back to the, the fancy buzzwords, but how you, how can you periodize your players and your practice yeah. sessions and just understanding like okay, players had a high day, high load day, you know, maybe you just taper it down a little bit. But yeah, no, I think the the biggest thing is just understanding the data, right? Because yep. it's, it's all it's all it's all fun to have, but if you, if you can't understand it, you can't use it.
1: I agree. Data. I've always, uh, as a scientist, I remember hearing once, and I've always remember someone said, data are just information. There's no good data, there's no bad data. It's just information. So the key is, is how are you going to use that information? And it doesn't mean you have to use it, Mm -hmm. but that's the
0: point of having data, is to have some more information. So in terms of strength, or I guess in general strength, fitness, would you train goalkeepers differently than midfield players?
1: Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the things that you'll hear if you – look into anything or you take any classes in, in sports science or on specific about strength and conditioning and performance, uh, is this concept of doing a needs analysis Mm -hmm. where you would base very simply, it sounds, you know, it is, it's what it sounds like. Um, you look at what the actions are and the requirements of who you want to train and you say, okay, let's train them to do those things. So goalkeepers obviously have a much different role and different requirements than a Field player, especially right. a field player who might be a central player or a wide player. Central and wide players are are covering a lot of distance. Mm-hmm. Um, goalkeepers are not covering as much distance, but they have to be explosive. Right. So, so and obviously goalkeepers are using their upper body to catch the ball mm-hmm. and throw the ball, um, whereas field players will use their upper body to help their body move somewhere. Right. So, so. I would say a a goalkeeper um, specific session or or a training program needs to involve like plyometrics, which are explosiveness Mm. sort of things. Remember that a goalkeeper doesn't always jump the same way. In terms of sometimes they have to jump left, sometimes they have to jump right. right, The plyometrics have to reflect that. Yep. So it's very easy. Say okay, I'm going to have these guys jump over hurdles. That's great. Don't have them always just jump over hurdles straight. They got to go. They got
0: yeah, change the direction. Yeah.
1: Um, from, a, from like a, in the weight room perspective, I think getting the posterior change st- strong for them is really important. So your, your squat, your deadlift, your hinge exercises right. are really important for them. Um, upper body is also important, but upper body um, is going to be more to me about the core strength of being able to withstand being not for sure. Hold on to something. It's not, so they don't need to be able to bench press 250 pounds as much as they need to be able to absorb force. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think those sort of things, um, you know, I think, I think in soccer, anything, but I think especially in soccer, um, I could, there's six fundamental patterns or six fundamental things that we do. We push, we pull, we squat, we hinge, we lunge, and we rotate. Right. Those th- six things need to be in your training sessions, for you know, your performance sessions for, sure. yep. for your goalkeepers, but
0: in motions that goalkeepers do. Right. Would you suggest more for rotation or anti-rotation exercises for goal- goalkeepers? Probably both because
1: um, they're gonna have to activate to rotate to get their body into a position to do the block or the catch right. or the parry but the anti-rotate would be to stabilize. Right, right. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of people who, well, you shouldn't be working on active rotate, you should be working on resisting rotate. You know, right. Active rotate would be, if you want to be really specific, mm. concentric motion of yep. the muscles, anti would be eccentric. Mm. The key is, is that Getting strong concentrically doesn't necessarily make you strong eccentrically right. or vice versa. There's a little bit of a crossover, but it's specific, so I'll include them both.
0: Yeah, and I, I guess you can't, you know, obviously I'm not going to say one's more important than the other, but, you know, you see, a, I guess, a lot more, and more so in NFL players and NBA maybe, just when the non-contact knee injuries and stuff, it's all it's all eccentric stuff, and goalkeepers do a yeah. lot of a lot of change of direction. And so could, could we just dive into a little bit of, like, some maybe eccentric exercises that you could do on the field that, that involve that deceleration to acceleration movement? Sure.
1: So, so when we talk about the eccentric, we're talking about force acceptance. Yeah. When we talk about concept, we're talking about force generation. Right. So when you say eccentric and force acceptance, the obvious first way we do this is to have to apply force and, and accept it. So whenever we jump and we land, right that landing is we're accepting force so this is where working on activities where you're focusing maybe it's a jump and it could be off the ground it could be a box it could be some drop jump sort of Mm -hmm. thing Um, and you're focusing on the player's capability to land with stability right and this is where like say say we do a drop jump and You know, I would. We wouldn't want to do a drop jump until we were happy with our players landing. But let's say we do a 12-inch drop jump Mm -hmm. off a platform or something like that. So there's so many variations that goalkeepers can benefit from. Right. Um, It's easy to think, well, I'm just going to step forward and drop straight forward. But you can step sideways to the right. You can Mm -hmm. step sideways to the left. You can step backwards you right. can step diagonal so you can there's already an infinite amount of ways yeah. that you can jump it every time you change the direction the player is coming um, before they land you're now changing the direction of the ground reaction force vector which means you're influencing different muscles it. yeah. so it's really easy to just say well I'm gonna do a bunch of straight drop jumps mm-hmm. then your players are gonna be really good at accepting force on a straight drop jump. Right. so variations and then of course single leg landings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it could be single leg outside foot. So if I if I'm on a box and I move to my right, I'm going to land on my right foot. But right. it could also be I move to my right, but I land on my left foot. Interesting, yeah. And then related to that something important for goalkeepers, Mm -hmm. but also something important for all players, is the ability to reverse and take your acceptance of force Mm -hmm. into force generation. So you could do some activities where you drop, and then immediately get back up onto the box. And same thing, vary the direction where you're dropping. Mm -hmm. Um, So now you're changing the force vector, and now you're making them have to accept and generate Fast right. as possible. That, that that's what a goalkeeper does, right? They, exactly. Yeah, you got to move quick. Yeah. And most goalkeepers, if they if they react, they go off of wherever they are. But oftentimes, if they can, if they can think and, and anticipate, they'll take a forward step to get right. some. So there, that's exactly what they're doing. They're accepting some force yeah. and then translating that momentum they already have into a right. different
0: direction to do what they need to do. Yeah. One of the first principles I was taught was just. Learning, learning how to apply and dissipate force through the ground is just going to be, you know, your number one thing that's going to be needed to learn as an athlete. Yeah. But speaking of all the different ways that we were talking about in in a drop jump and in, in different landings, the foot has so many different muscles. Yeah. Do you recommend barefoot training at all, or, or is it kind of one of those things? It no. doesn't really matter, like if you I, do or don't.
1: No, I th- I think I think changing the surface that you're going to um, have contact in the ground, whether that's changing. Taking your shoe off and you're right. barefoot or that's changing and you're on a foam. Matt, what you're, you know, what you're really doing is you're adding a proprioceptive right, stimulus exactly. there. So,
0: you know, I wouldn't say Hold on, before we continue, could you just dive into what a proprioceptive sure. stimulus is and how it how it works with your sure. brain so, and awareness?
1: Right, sure. Okay. So proprioception simply is is body awareness. So right. you have these sensory organs that are in, I'm not gonna go into deep deep physiology, bottom line is. You have this these uh, nerves that give you some feedback that help your body to figure out where it is in space to gain balance faster. So um, an example of stressing the proprioceptors would be having someone stay balanced on one foot, but then have them do the same thing, but now on a foam surface. So now the foot's not as stable. So the foot's moving. It's giving some different information to the brain. The brain is having to make the adjustments to help you to stay balanced. Right. So that's that's in a nutshell. That's what the proprioception proprioception I'm talking yeah. about is.
0: So you you do like using foam pads here and there. Like I, I guess everything has its place in, in time. Yeah. It's but, just you know, a, it's, it's
1: just like, another stimulus. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 There's there's no magic to things. To me, we can find now in this day. Another you allude to an earlier question you asked. How are things changed? There is way more resources available by clicking on Google or clicking on Instagram right. than we've ever had. And just because it's on Google or Instagram yeah. doesn't mean it's the right thing or a oh, good thing that to do. Is that so? I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, so, but right, yeah. So I think like putting a foam pad in or something like that, you would do that to ramp up, ramp up or change the periodization, mm. oh, changing yeah. the stimulus, that's right. all you're doing just, again, but within reason. Don't right. look and see some guy doing something. If it doesn't make sense, just because you see someone doing it doesn't right. mean it's the
0: right thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. Just it's fun to to see all the different ways. And I guess you know what. Speaking of Google, is you know what are some of the th- resources that you? Kind of refer back to maybe, or that you like to check in on, just to see what what's going on in the industry.
1: So I I'm a member of the National Strength and Conditioning right. Association, and I have my CSC, Certified mm-hmm. Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Anybody who wants to to become certified that's the, that's that's right. your main certification. Our mm-hmm. diploma is not a certification; it's extra information. Right. Um, that that association has two journals mm-hmm. that they publish. One is the Journal of Strength and Conditioning right. Research, which is hardcore research. Mm-hmm. It's gonna have uh, peer-reviewed, it's gonna have right. uh, introduction a methods, yeah. uh, statistics. There's a lot of great stuff in there, and that's a place where you, if you know what to look for because you use the right keywords, right. as long as you're willing to read the science paper, yeah. and which you should know how to do, yeah, exactly. but then they also have I, I think it's called the Journal of Strength and yeah, Conditioning. Yeah. That's more of a layman's mm. place. So I always will keep my eye right. on those um, resources mm. because that's where the most recent information is coming out. And so, like, one of the things I do on a regular basis is because of being a member of the NSCA, I get weekly or a, I don't know if it, it just comes randomly. Yeah, right, so right. it's every, every few weeks mm. a table of contents yep. of all of the new research that's just been published right. and I will immediately scan and I'll look and see what's looking interesting to me mm. and if it's interesting I'll click on it and then I'll see the abstract and I'll read it and say okay does this something that's more interesting because I want to get more some more detail right. I'll read the paper but I at least... Have a nice yep. what's going on, and then I, I have colleagues like and my friend uh, Paulo at uh, Club America. If I see a paper that looks like it might be interesting to him, I'll just send yeah. it to him and yep. say, "Take a look at this paper." You read this and then tell me
0: tell me what it was about, and yeah. he'll do the same. Yeah. So
1: that's your second way. The first is um, online, and I, I there's other strength and conditioning associations. I just know right. NSCA is what mm. I look at. Um, colleagues. Yeah. Um, we we shared interest, we will let people know. And then the other thing is is just because we kinda slammed on social media doesn't mean there's not good ideas there. Right, so I sure, still will always sure. look and see and I'll use my my um experience and my knowledge of what makes sense to look and assess mm-hmm. does what this person doing yeah. make sense? Right. And if it does that's a good idea. Right, I'm going to steal it, and okay. if it doesn't, then I'm going to scroll to the next one. Or right.
0: exactly, so those are a some great places. Find for you. And yeah, implement it that way. But no, John, I appreciate you taking the time. This was awesome. Hope everyone could at least learn about you know some some of the science and strength and conditioning. So I appreciate it. Thank so you. So
1: can I close, Jesse, Please? and just say that? Um, the, we've been doing the sports performance mm-hmm. diploma for a year now. We've done so. We've done there three. There are twelve week sessions. We've done three of them. We've sold out every time. That's awesome. There is a, a, a session that opened up for um, for uh, registration on the United Soccer Coaches site uh, January 11th. We're starting our first actual the the sign-up period ends on uh january 26th okay um i encourage if people want more um, sign up it sells out but once it sells out we then schedule the next one and and the way we do it just so every, so just to make uh to finish up is it's a 12-week program but every three weeks we have a zoom call with all the staff and all of the Mm. candidates so we can talk face to face right um and so we limit the signups to about 30 to 40 people awesome. because we don't want the right. Zoom calls too big. So That's I just, awesome. listeners should think about yeah. getting involved awesome. with that. For sure. I appreciate it, John. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much.